and welcome to the fourth episode of Gadget Forecast. I am your host Siddharth and in today's episode, I am going to be talking about two extensive topics that have been gaining substantial significance of late. Number one is a topic that my good friend Pradeep Dutta had requested me to cover, which is a breakdown analysis of Google's recent announcement of an investment of $10 billion in India. We will look at what led Google to take this huge step the details and scope of the investment and how Google plans to execute their vision of a more digitized Indian landscape. Number two is where I shall be reviewing the latest OnePlus Nord, which was released on 21st July and whether or not you should go for it. And like always, if you are planning to buy a gadget, any gadget, be it smartphones, headphones, wearable devices, etc. Do reach out to me on the Instagram handle of Gadget Forecast for a personalized one-to-one consultation where I will help you out by recommending the best suited product as per your requirement. So, without much further ado, let's get this episode started. Number one, a brief overview of Google's investment in India. Well, Google is a name that has transcended from being a mere search engine in our web browsers to a household name in our country. On 13th July at the 2020 edition of its annual Google for India event, CEO Sundar Pichai announced that it has set up a Google for India digitization fund through which it will invest $10 billion, which roughly translates to rupees 75,000 crore in our country over the next five to seven years through a mix of equity investments partnerships, operations, infrastructure, and ecosystem investments. This announcement seems to come as a spin-off from the recent ban on 59 Chinese apps by the Indian government, including the famous yet controversial short video social networking platform, TikTok. Well, ahead of the announcement, Sundar Pichai, along with other senior executives of Google, held a video conference with Prime Minister Narendra Modi, where they primarily discussed about leveraging the power of technology to digitize the Indian demography and facilitate affordable access of internet to every Indian. That being said, let us now address a more interesting question at point number two. Why did Google decide to invest such a massive amount in India? Well, for starters, let's look at this from the perspective of our very own Sundar Pichai. Back in 2014, even before our Chennai-born IIT Kharagpur graduate became the CEO of Google, he had big dreams for his homeland and had even envisioned placing major bets in India. He saw the Indian population as the fastest growing internet user base that not only is a magnet for digital innovations, but also testifies to the tremendous potential that India holds for Google to invest in the long game. And indeed, six years later, here we are witnessing one of the biggest investments to have ever been made by a foreign company. But this alone doesn't answer our question. So let me just just switch our perspectives here. Okay, done. So now, I would like to present a three-point analysis of the ground reality to better address the question of why Google decided to invest in our country. First, let me start by pointing out the fact that this move by Google comes at a time when Indians are using data now more than ever thanks to affordable mobile broadband services, Geo. While researching for this episode, I was going through the mobility report released by famous telecom company Ericsson for June 2020. 
In that report, Ericsson had revealed that the regular Indian smartphone user consumes an average of 12 GB of data per month, which is expected to rise up to 25 GB per month in 2025. Also, with the smartphone user base growing rapidly in rural areas as well, the internet penetration rate in the country, which stood at a mere 27% five years back, now stands at around 50% in 2020 with 687 million active internet users. Well, undoubtedly, these are crystal clear signs that India as a country possesses a massive potential for a global tech giant like Google to become a key player in transforming the country's digital ecosystem. Coming to the second point, Google's rival Facebook had recently invested $6 billion in Mukesh Ambani's geo platforms. Of course, it's worth mentioning that Google too has invested $4.5 billion in geo platforms, but we shall discuss that a little later. Coming back to the Facebook deal with Geo, grabbing a piece of the ever increasing data user base in India is something that Mark Zuckerberg had wanted to do for quite some time now. Even Amazon had invested $1 billion in January this year with the aim of digitizing the small and medium businesses in India. Well, clearly, our country is at the center of a battle between the global tech giants as they continue to race for a larger share of the next 500 million consumers. Now, coming back to Google, so far, they have been missing out on one major element in the revenue stream, a community network that can be monetized, just like Amazon's Prime Video or Facebook's Instagram and WhatsApp. So Google plans to address that issue by building a digital platform where consumers can spend within their ecosystem. Now for the third reason. You see, the Indian market has kind of been like, I would call it a testing ground for several of Google's products and services because let's face it, we Indians love to embrace and try out new technology, be it a new app or a gadget for that matter. So much so that Google has launched nearly eight products in India before rolling them out to other countries globally. Well, off the top of my head, a perfect example would be Google Pay, the very first UPI-based payment app to have been launched in India back in 2017. Well, I still happen to remember the first time that I used the app. I think I was in the seventh semester of my engineering and one fine afternoon, my friend Shrikan came running into my room and he was like, bro, you have got to use this new app that lets you transfer money directly from one bank account to another. Well, you see, back then, the only money transfer app we were familiar with was Paytm. And honestly, we weren't a huge fan of the interface. So I was like, no, bro, I am not risking my bank account to try out some new app. Well, quite frankly, online payments in 2017 weren't quite a thing yet. And hence my apprehension. Then Shrikant tells me that, bro, the app is by Google. So hearing the brand name, an instant trust factor was automatically instilled in me. You see, Google had marketed their payments app in such a way that if you transfer rupees 500 or more, you get a scratch card where you had the chance to win a cashback. So anyway, I set up my account and transferred rupees 500 to Srikant and he transferred the amount back to me. We got one scratch card each, but my friend was not as lucky as me as he got a cashback of rupees 30 while I won a cashback of rupees 391. And that's basically free money. 
Well, coming back to our point, Google Pay became an instant success in India, which got replicated in other parts of the world as well. So you see, Google's ideology is simple. If a product works in a diverse market like India, it is bound to work in other developing regions as well, such as Africa or South America. So all in all, the Indian market has been a favorable ground for Google and hence they decided to further increase their involvement in this flourishing market with this particular investment. So now one must really wonder that, okay, we know the reason behind this massive investment by Google, but it's easier said than done. How does Google plan to honor and execute this commitment of $10 billion? Well, Google hasn't exactly been specific in this regard, but yeah, they have laid out a rather interesting plan of action, which we shall see in point number three. So let's look at this ingenious plan by Google in a concise point-wise manner. And hey, I assure you that you will thoroughly enjoy listening to this. So basically, there are four focus areas of this entire arrangement. Focus area one to facilitate affordable access of internet and information to every Indian in their own language. You see, unlike other countries, the Indian market is not homogeneous. Instead, it is an amalgamation of multiple micro markets, which are differentiated based on culture, tradition, language, income, apart from geography. So when a tech company decides to venture into the Indian market, it becomes extremely crucial for them to adapt and customize their offerings with respect to the above said differences. So keeping that in mind, Google plans to intensify their objective of making information and technology available at local vernacular languages, be it Hindi, Tamil, Punjabi, etc., to penetrate deeper into the unreached demography. This will equip the rural population to better embrace this digital transformation in the familiar environment of their own mother tongues. Focus area two, to develop innovative products and services that are deeply relevant to the unique needs of the Indian population. Well, let's see. I believe everyone is familiar with Google Maps, right? So when you search for a route from one location to another, you see an option called two-wheeler mode. Now, this particular feature provides you customized traffic estimations, especially designed for two-wheelers, which shows you shortcut routes that are not accessible to cars and trucks. Want to hear a fun fact? This two-wheeler mode feature was first launched in India. Why so? You see, Google knew that India is the largest two-wheeler market in the world. So they decided to launch a product feature that will particularly cater to the millions of motorcycle and scooter riders of our country. So going forward, launching innovative products and services that are primarily relevant to the unique needs of the Indian population is something that Google intends to focus on aggressively. Focus area three to educate and empower the small and medium enterprise businesses as they continue to embark on their journey of digital transformation. Well, let's take the example of Google Pay. As per LiveMint.com, Google Pay had over 3,000 online merchants and 200,000 offline merchants registered on their platform as of 2019. These merchants use Google Pay for customer payments, supplier payments, employee salary, and tons of other utilities. With the $10 billion fund, Google plans to make inroads into smaller towns to partner with similar entities and support India's growing digital ecosystem. 
In fact, Google has already announced their new initiative with Prasar Bharati to launch an edutainment series on Doodarshan on how small businesses can adopt digital tools to tide over the current COVID situation. Well, as I see it, this is a significant step which will help build a foundation to promote digital literacy among the rural population. Focus area four. To leverage the power of technology and artificial intelligence for social good in prime sectors like healthcare, agriculture, and education. Well, Google has announced yet another partnership, this time with the CBSE board to train 1 million teachers across 22,000 schools in India to deliver blended learning, which basically is a combination of classroom approach with online learning. Using free tools such as G Suite for education, Google Classroom, YouTube, and more. And for the students living in the rural areas who do not have widespread access to internet or smartphones, Google has announced the grant of $1 million to Kaivalya Education Foundation. The foundation will deploy this fund to train 7 lakh teachers to deliver virtual education for students over TV and radio. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of Google's plans for India's future and digital economy. Now, coming back to the point that I had mentioned earlier, Google has joined hands with Mukesh Ambani's Geo Platforms on 15 July, not only as a financial partner, but as a strategic tech partner, investing Rs 33,707 crore for a stake of 7.73%. Both the firms will work together on a customized version of Android operating system to develop low-cost 5G-compatible smartphones to serve the next 500 million users of the country. So you see, Google has stepped foot into India with blazing guns and their massive investment and influential partnership deals just happen to tick all the right boxes. But there's one issue which not many people have talked about, one issue which probably has the potential to shatter our country's digital dreams. And that, my friend, is data privacy. Well, as a matter of fact, user data has been facing constant threats with the penetration of foreign companies due to the inadequate data protection law of our country. Google has kind of been the king of Indian data collection with its search engine, street maps, web browsing, and payment platform. However, the recent antitrust allegations on Google makes it a vulnerable choice for sharing Indian consumer data. As per Economic Times, a recent complaint was filed with the Competition Commission of India stating that the US tech giant has been using search manipulation to unfairly promote its GPay app over other payment platforms like Paytm and PhonePay inside the Google Play Store. And this is Google's third major antitrust challenge in India. Well, according to me, such investments should be authorized under a properly structured data protection law to monitor the process of consumer data circulation before actually welcoming them in our country. Also, there's one other aspect which concerns me as much as the data privacy issue. You see, having such a massive investment in India might create a digital monopoly, which is definitely going to hamper the businesses of the recent tech startups that are just starting to grow in India. Well, unless Google decides to support these startups in a positive manner, it will definitely hamper the growth of these developing firms.
Yes, I do acknowledge that the merits of this investment deal outweigh the drawbacks that I just mentioned, but do bear in mind that there is an ulterior motive here. Google wasn't going to spend such an enormous amount of money and push the digitization initiative if it didn't make a business sense. After all, a digital India translates to more people taking to the internet. And since Google makes more than 60% of its revenue via advertising services online, you would understand why they are making this bet right now. Well, to sum it up, Google's recent commitment to India indeed manages to showcase a brilliant illustration that is going to significantly boost India's digital economy where it aims to build 1 lakh digital villages, boost healthcare technology and increase the reachability of online or distance education. However, to gain maximum advantage, India should create a robust data protection law to safeguard data privacy and make the foreign tech giants abide by these guidelines. Only then can we have true development without compromising on something as crucial as data privacy. Now, coming to the second part of today's episode, the OnePlus Nord. From being an outsider in December 2014 to becoming the market leader of the premium segment, OnePlus has witnessed a meteoric rise in its journey in India. You know, I have been using the OnePlus 3T since 2016 and let me tell you this, OnePlus phones are phenomenal from every single aspect. Everything about a OnePlus phone, be it build quality, software, user experience, specifications, even the packaging comes with the blueprint and bloodline of premium flagship devices. Achieving perfection while keeping things minimalistic is how I would like to define OnePlus phones. And I am saying this after having extensively used tons of other Android devices across brands like Sony, Samsung, Motorola and even HTC. So having said that, let's take a closer look at the latest offering of OnePlus and whether or not you should go for it. Well, I had already discussed about the spec leaks of the OnePlus Nord in my very first episode and I think I got around 80% of the leaks right, well, except the camera setup and the price. Yeah, I was expecting a price point of around Rs 35,000 but OnePlus managed to surprise us all with a launch price of Rs 24,999 for the 6-64GB variant. With the Nord, OnePlus achieves the perfect balance between premium features and value pricing. Well, let's start by talking about the design of the device. Despite being an affordable mid-range phone, the OnePlus Nord looks and feels very much like it belongs to the premium category of devices. Right from the moment you unbox it from the packaging to the moment you hold it in your hands, the glass-back Nord successfully manages to establish a flagship design language. Well, partly because it repurposes the same core burdenless design philosophy that runs on the premium OnePlus 8 series. Well, coming to the display, this is an area where OnePlus has never failed to deliver excellence. The Nord features a 6.4-inch Full HD AMOLED display with 90Hz refresh rate and a pixel density of 408 pixels per inch, which is protected by Gorilla Glass 5. The display isn't a curved edge one, but it sure will be a treat to your eyes with vivid colors, rich contrasts, deep blacks and a decent brightness level. Also, there's an in-display fingerprint scanner which is fast and responsive in unlocking your device instantly. 
Well, coming to the insides of the OnePlus Nord, internals have always been a strong armor of OnePlus devices since their very inception and the OnePlus Nord is no exception. Hey, look at that. Inception, exception. Well, they just happen to rhyme. Well, anyway, the Nord is powered by the mid-range Snapdragon 765G processor which when coupled with the 6, 8 or 12 GB of RAM, depending on the variant, delivers a flagship grade performance which almost is at par with the premium OnePlus 8 series. Pumping the device is a 4115 mAh battery which supports 30 watt warp charge via USB Type-C port and on a single charge, the device will last you a complete day with general usage. Also, for those wondering, yes, the phone is 5G compatible even though we are yet to see the onset of 5G in India. Now, coming to the Department of Photography, the Nord features a quad rear setup with a 48 megapixel Sony IMX586 sensor with both electronic and optical image stabilization, an 8 megapixel ultra wide lens for those wide angle captures, a 2 megapixel macro lens for close up photography, and a 5 megapixel depth sensor to enhance your portrait shots. To assist in low light photography, there is the nightscape mode which helps in clicking better after dark images by taking 9 different pictures at varying exposures and stitching them back together to produce clearer and brighter photos. As for the front setup, the Nord sports a dual selfie camera with a 32 megapixel primary shooter and an 8 megapixel ultra wide lens for clicking selfies with a wider field of view. You see, OnePlus is calling the camera on the Nord as a flagship camera because they have used the same 48 megapixel sensor of the OnePlus 7 and the OnePlus 8, but I think that's a bit of an overstatement. But yes, they have significantly improved its quality and the resulting images and videos testify to the one year of refinement and tweaking to produce a better polished version. This is, I would call it, somewhat similar to what Apple did with the 2020 iPhone SE by repurposing the iPhone 8's camera with more advanced and updated computational image processing. Well, in the end, this is great because number one, the output is good and number two, you are getting the same flagship camera sensor with updated technology at a price lower than what you were getting before. And let me tell you this. At a price point of Rs 25,000, it's highly unlikely that you will find a better camera than the OnePlus Nord. Well, speaking of software, the OnePlus Nord runs Android 10 out of the box with their very own Oxygen OS 10.5 on top. Now, the Oxygen OS is one aspect of OnePlus devices that I absolutely adore and it was a love at first sight kind of a thing when I first used it in my OnePlus 3T. I mean, what's not to love about it? It has got a very clean, basic, minimalistic design. It's fast, fluid, responsive. It has got pretty neatly crafted icons and allows you to perform tons of customizations which takes your entire Android experience to the next level. Now, coming to the most important part, availability. The 8 slash 128 GB variant priced at Rs 27,999 and the 12 slash 256 GB variant priced at Rs 29,999 will go up for sale on Amazon and the official online store of OnePlus from 4th August onwards. Unfortunately, if you are planning to buy the 6 slash 64 GB base variant, which 
as you already know, is priced at Rs 24,999. You will have to wait till September. Now for the final verdict. Well, you see, people are buying phones in this mid-range segment now more than ever. While other competitors are using up the resources in releasing multiple phones in the same segment, OnePlus is making just one phone which hits that sweet spot in the mid-range area. One phone, high in quality, designed to give a premium flagship experience. OnePlus always has been focusing more in quality over quantity and this is what has made OnePlus stand out from the rest. You see, they are not just putting in features to a device, they are enhancing the entire user experience of a smartphone. And at this price point, the OnePlus Nord definitely receives my highest recommendation. So the time has come for me to wrap up our today's session of Gadget Forecast. Thank you, dear listeners, for taking time out of your schedule to drop by and listen to my podcast because it really, really means a lot to me. If you liked what you heard today, please don't forget to follow, subscribe and share my podcast because I will keep coming back with more such exciting updates and topics to cover and I'm guessing you wouldn't want to miss them. Also, you can reach out to me on the official Facebook and Instagram handle of Gadget Forecast and drop by your valuable feedback and also do let me know what topic you would want me to discuss on my next episode. So that's it for today's podcast, folks. Take care and stay safe.